everyone, and welcome to the February 20th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skern and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal clarified the differences in applying independent contractor rules between tort and workers' compensation claims. Here's what happened in the published case of Secchi versus United Independent Taxi Drivers Incorporated. Emmanuel Secchi was driving his motorcycle through an intersection in the city of West Hollywood when a taxi driven by Aram Tonkananian turned left directly in front of him, causing injury. At the time, Tonkananian was driving a green and white taxi marked with the United Independent Taxi Drivers insignia. However, a jury found that Tonkananian was not United's employee at the time, and Secchi appealed the judgment. The Court of Appeal reversed and found that Tonkananian was indeed the cab company's employee at the time in the published opinion. The case involves the application of the rules for establishing an independent contractor status. Here are some of the facts the court looked at. Like other owner-drivers, Tonkananian owned his taxi and set his own hours. Tonkananian's contract with the United stated he was an independent contractor. The drivers paid monthly dues and other fees to cover United's expenses, and United provided them with marketing and advertising. Each United taxi had the company's phone number painted on it. If a customer called the number, a dispatcher would enter the location information into a computer and the computer would send out a dispatch request. In order to receive dispatch requests, a driver would check into a zone where he or she was located. The drivers were free to accept or reject dispatch requests and could pick up passengers on the street so long as they were licensed to accept fares within that city. Drivers were required to use uniform credit card and dispatch equipment chosen by the company. The credit card charges were initially paid by United, which would then deduct credit card processing fees, monthly dues, and a small fee for accounting. The taxi rates were set by the meter. The drivers were not free to charge flat or discounted rates. United required its drivers to accept vouchers and coupons that drivers could later submit to United for payment. If a driver transferred ownership of a United taxi, the buyer and seller had to notify United and pay a $500 transfer fee. United provided a training manual to each of its drivers. It required the drivers to keep a copy of the manual in the taxi and to complete a training course before taking the city's licensing test. The training manual provided specific information about the driver's appearance, including a dress code, as well as specifics about driving safety, conducting themselves while waiting in taxi lines, and interacting with passengers politely. The United drivers were expected to abide by the company's rules and regulations, and the drivers acknowledged their relationship with United could be terminated for violations. In 1988, California voters approved Ballot Measure Initiative 103. The measure made numerous fundamental changes in the regulation of automobile and other forms of insurance in California. Before 1988, open competition system of rates were set by insurers without prior or subsequent approval by the California Insurance Commissioner. Under that system, California had less regulation of insurance than any other state 
And in California, automobile liability insurance was less regulated than most other forms of insurance. But Proposition 103 instituted a permanent regulatory regime comprising the prior approval system. After passage of Proposition 103, the insurance commissioner must approve a rate applied for by an insurer before its use, looking to whether the rate in question is excessive, inadequate, unfairly discriminatory, or otherwise in violation of law. Subsequent to passage, the California Supreme Court reviewed and approved Proposition 103 against challenges under the United States and California constitutions in a series of cases filed by insurance carriers. Now, in 2009, Mercury Casualty Company filed an application with the California Insurance Commissioner to increase its homeowner insurance rates as required by Prop 103. Mercury sought an overall rate increase of about 8.8%. In denying the increase, Mercury requested the commissioner determine that Mercury's entire advertising budget had to be excluded from the calculation. So Mercury proceeded to have the rate increase approved by the courts. In 2014, the Superior Court issued its ruling denying Mercury's petition for writ of mandate and complaint for declaratory relief. The Personal Insurance Federation of California intervened in the action on behalf of other industry stakeholders, and now that judgment was affirmed by the Courts of Appeal in the published case of Mercury Casualty Company versus Dave Jones as Insurance Commissioner. On appeal, Mercury contends the Commissioner erred in disallowing all of Mercury's advertising expenses in the rate calculation. The law provides that institutional advertising expenses shall not be allowed for rate-making purposes. Institutional advertising means advertising not aimed at obtaining business for a specific insurer and not providing consumers with information pertinent to the decision whether to buy the insurer's product. The Court of Appeal concluded there was no merit in the Mercury Insurance arguments and affirmed the Superior Court. And now our crime report. The Department of Industrial Relations and its Division of Workers' Compensation has suspended seven medical providers from participating in California's workers' compensation system. Newly enacted AB 1244 requires the DWC to suspend any medical provider, physician, or practitioner from participating in the workers' compensation system when convicted of fraud. The seven providers have been convicted of workers' compensation fraud or have been suspended from the Medicare or Medicaid programs for medical fraud. Together, they have filed more than 8,500 liens in California's workers' compensation system with a total value of at least $59 million. The suspended providers include Philip Sobal, an orthopedic surgeon in Los Angeles convicted in Santa Ana's Federal District Court of Insurance Mail Fraud and other charges connected to receiving workers' compensation kickbacks. Dr. Sobal has nearly 6,000 active workers' compensation liens with an estimated total claim value of more than $42.7 million. Jason Hui Tech Yang, a psychiatrist in Pasadena, convicted in Riverside County Superior Court for his involvement in an insurance industry conspiracy. 
Dr. Yang has over 2,000 active workers' compensation liens with an estimated total claim value of more than $13.7 million. Helen Ivar, a contractor in Costa Mesa, was convicted in Santa Ana's Federal District Court for referring patients to a Long Beach hospital in a kickback scheme for well over a decade. Dr. Ivar still has over 400 active workers' compensation and liens with an estimated total claim value of more than $2.5 million. Thomas M. Herrick, a physician in Los Angeles, was convicted in Sacramento's Federal District Court for health care fraud related to the Medicare and Medicaid programs and was suspended from those programs. Carlos Aguela, a Chula Vista businessman, was convicted in San Diego's Federal District Court for his role in a kickback scheme that involved referring injured workers to specific chiropractors for medical care regardless of their injuries. And Daniel Dehan, a former chiropractor in Long Beach, was suspended from the Medicare and Medicaid programs and surrendered his license to practice. And Boniface Onabu, a former neurologist in Marina del Rey, was suspended from the Medicare and Medicaid programs and his license was revoked. Suspension notices were issued to the seven providers on January 17, 2017 by the Division of Workers' Compensation Acting Administrative Director George Parasato. The suspension becomes effective 30 days later if the provider does not appeal the action. An additional three providers who were notified of the pending suspension have filed appeals of the action, and those appeals are in process. The Yolo County's District Attorney's Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit recently coordinated a joint unlicensed contractor sting operation in Woodland, California with the Contractor State License Board, the Sutter County District Attorney's Office, and the Woodland Police Department. The goal was to hold unlicensed contractors accountable for violations of contractors' law and workers' compensation fraud. The team was specifically looking for individuals who were posing false advertisements as well as those who were providing a contractor's bid without being properly licensed. During the two-day operation, there were a total of 15 arrests made for violations including contracting without a license, posting false advertisements, and not having workers' comp insurance. According to California law, all individuals performing work regulated by the Contractor State License Board at $500 or greater must have a valid contractor's license. If they have any employees working for them, they must provide their employees with proper comp insurance as well. Homeowners can be held liable for any medical treatment stemming from injuries sustained by the employee of an unlicensed contractor if they occurred while working on the homeowner's property. District Attorney Jeff Ressig emphasized that it is critical that homeowners ensure the contractors are, they hire are licensed by the Contractor State License Board and have proper workers' compensation insurance. In 2015, law enforcement agencies had only six pharmacy burglaries in Ventura County. The following year, these burglaries numbered 64, resulting in an average of more than five burglaries per month and leaving law enforcement officials scrambling for answers. The Ventura County Sheriff's Office described the 58 burglary increase as a statistically significant change in criminal behavior. 
Detectives of the Oxnard Police Department's Property Crimes Unit said most of the burglaries had specific targets, such as opioid-based narcotics, with little variation. A public affairs representative for Kaiser Permanente, whose Oxnard pharmacy was burglarized twice in 2016, said it was obvious the criminals were seeking high-priced drugs such as oxycodone. Thieves can potentially make hundreds of dollars from the illicit sale of opioid drugs on the black market. Typically, the opioid-based drugs are selling for about 50 cents per milligram, which is $7 to $18 for a 15-milligram pill and $15 to $36 for a 30-milligram pill. Indications of the spike began showing up early last year when the Ventura County Sheriff's Office alerted the public to a string of burglaries in Thousand Oaks and Camarillo. Between January and March, six pharmacies had been burglarized, with the thieves forcing entry into small independent pharmacies during non-operating hours. They primarily took opioid-based medications, then fled. As the year drew on, the county's cities, large and small, were plagued by pharmacy break-ins. Law enforcement officials stressed that the problem is not confined to Ventura County. Regions such as Santa Barbara County, which was unaffected in 2015, reported multiple instances of burglary last year. Authorities are unsure precisely why Ventura County and other parts of Southern California have seen a sudden surge in incidents. Most of the burglaries have occurred at smaller independent pharmacies, not chain stores such as CVS or Rite Aid, where traffic is higher and security is more prevalent. Some officials think that the decreased supply of legitimate drugs has increased the demand for illicit sources. Burglars are only too happy to fill the void left behind a decline in prescriptions. Kaiser Foundation Health System has paid $850,000 to settle allegations that a Kaiser Permanente pharmacy in Modesto violated the Controlled Substances Act by improperly filling defective prescriptions and by failing to maintain accurate records. An investigation into a theft of controlled substances at the pharmacy in 2013 resulted in prosecution of a Kaiser employee on a grand theft charge. It also led to closer scrutiny of the pharmacy by investigators with the DEA Diversion Control Unit in Fresno. The settlement resolves allegations that a large percentage of prescriptions that the pharmacy filled were incomplete, lacking the patient and dosage information required by law. Additionally, the settlement resolves allegations that the pharmacy failed to maintain accurate documentation of incoming and outgoing controlled substances. The investigation identified discrepancies in comparing the pharmacy's purchase and dispensing records with the actual controlled substances on hand at the pharmacy. There was no evidence of the violation causing any harm to patients. In a statement, Kaiser Permanente said, Tracking and management of controlled substances is taken seriously at its pharmacies. Kaiser cooperated with the investigation and has agreed to implement protocols to minimize the chance of future violations. This case was the product of an investigation by the Fresno DEA Diversion Group. And in regulatory news, the California Workers' Compensation Institute has issued a new regional scorecard 
the sixth in its research series that looks at workers' compensation claims experience in eight different regions of California. The new scorecard provides detailed data from more than 127,000 claims filed by residents of the California coast, a 300-mile-long region encompassing Ventura, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, Monterey, and Santa Cruz counties. And it compares the results to those from 1.7 million claims from the rest of the state. For the entire 11-year span covered by the scorecard, claims by Central Coast workers represented 6.7% of all California workers' compensation claims and 6.3% of all claim payments. But with a shift in the state's population and job market in recent years, the proportion of claims from the region has increased, with Central Coast workers accounting now for 7.7% of all California job injury claims in 2015. Average payments on these claims, almost a quarter of which involved agricultural workers, have shown recent increases as well. But time lags from the date of injury to employer notification, claims administrator notification, and initial treatment are significantly less on the Central Coast. And claims durations are shorter. At 24 months post-injury, Central Coast claims average more medical visits for evaluation and management, physical therapy, and chiropractic care. While the biggest difference in medical payments is in surgery, where Central Coast claims at the two-year benchmark average 11.2% more than the rest of the state. Four of the top 10 drugs prescribed are opioids. Vicodin, oxycodone, tramadol, and fentanyl together account for 20% of the region's total drug spend. All of the scorecards and summary bulletins are available to CWCI members and research subscribers who log on to the CWCI website. The next scorecard in the series will focus on claims from the northern counties. Cal OSHA is reminding employers with more than 10 employees to post their 2016 annual summaries of work-related injuries and illnesses. These employers must post the annual summary no later than February 1 and keep the posting in place until April 30. Cal OSHA Chief Julian Soom said that this important posting requirement increases awareness of health and safety hazards in the workplace and helps employers and employees understand how to reduce risks. The employer's requirements to record occupational fatalities, injuries, and illnesses are in the California Code of Regulations, which describe the annual posting requirement and lists the exempted industries. To satisfy these requirements, at the end of each calendar year, employers must review the Cal OSHA Form 300 to verify that the entries are complete and accurate and correct any deficiencies they identify and create an annual summary of injuries and illnesses recorded on the Cal OSHA Form 300 using the Cal OSHA Form 300A Annual Summary of Work-Related Injuries and Illnesses, and then certify and post the annual summary. The employer must post a copy in each establishment in a conspicuous place or places where notices to employees are customarily posted. Instructions and form templates can be downloaded for free on the Cal OSHA website. 
Current and former employees, including employee representatives, have the right to review the summary in its entirety. And in medical news, a new treatment guideline promulgated by the American College of Physicians says people should try non-drug treatment options for chronic low back pain before choosing over-the-counter or prescription drugs. If the pain began recently, the guidelines recommend superficial heat, massage, acupuncture, or spinal manipulation. If patients wish to take medication, they should use non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs known as NSAIDs, such as ibuprofen or skeletal muscle relaxants prescribed by a doctor. Acetaminophen and steroids are not recommended for low back pain. But for chronic low back pain, defined as pain that's lasted more than 12 weeks, the American College of Physicians recommends people hold off on medications. The new guidelines apply to low back pain that does not radiate to other parts of the body like the legs. Patients with low back pain that radiates to other parts of the body need further evaluation. The new guidelines are based on a review of studies that looked at the use of drugs and non-drug therapies for low back pain but did not look at creams or injections. Opioids should only be considered as last resorts and only prescribed after doctors discuss their risks and benefits with patients. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.